Well, welcome. It's an honor to be here with you. Be able to share some thoughts based upon the movie um, and from the Word of God, from Malachi chapter 4. We'll look at that in just a moment. Happy movie day. Um, you know, that is a sad story with a, turns out to be a relatively happy ending. Um, and the story isn't a whole lot different in some ways uh, than mine. I remember about six months before my dad passed away, which is just two years ago now, um, we were having a conversation over breakfast. Every Thursday morning, uh, we would get together and have breakfast. One week I'd buy, next week he'd forget, so I'd buy. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a nice tradition in some ways. I did get an inheritance, so I'm good. Um, but he, we were talking about uh, fathering and, you know, being a dad. And um, we talked about his dad, especially. His dad, my namesake, his name's Stan, um, was not a very good father at all. He was quite brutal, uh, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, abandoned my dad when he was 10 years of age. And, and uh, so we were talking about, you know, what it was like for him and his, his feelings about his, his dad. And he said, you know, for a long time, I was very bitter against him. And uh, in fact, in, in reality, he had to throw my grandfather out of his own house because my grandfather was trying to mess with my sister. I mean, it was, it was not a good guy. But he said, you know, even with all that happened, I just have to give my dad a pass. I said, really? A pass? I mean, he, he was brutal. He was abusive. I mean, he... I mean, the stories are, are unbelievable. One was that just is in mind. I mean, he, he had a fight with a kid at school. And uh, he won the fight, but he cried because he had hurt the kid. And so my, my dad came home. His dad found out about what had happened. And so the next day, he decided to put a skirt on him and put lipstick on his lips, and he sent him to school that way. I said, but Dad, I mean, with all that he did, he says, yeah, I know, but, but you know, he'd never been a father before. Any more than I'd ever been a father before, or, or you, or anyone. He, he probably did, uh, he wasn't good, no, he wasn't good, but he, I think he probably did the best he knew how, given where he came from, and so... I have to give him a pass. You know, I'm, when you're thinking about stories and people's lives and things that have happened to them, it's easy if you've been in the position of being a victim or being abused or being wounded in some way to, to hold on to, to the hurt, to hold on to the anger, to hold on even to become bitter it, because it feels like if I do that, I can protect myself. But the reality is you don't protect yourself, you infect yourself with a venom that will eventually kill you. It first begins to kill you emotionally and spiritually, and eventually it will physically. You know, as a kid growing up, I vowed I'd never be like my dad. I mean, you know, he, was, he had a horrible temper and all of that, but... 
You know, the fact is, if you hang around people long enough, you kind of become a little bit like them. So, I mean, in my life, I was born a poor white child. It was quite true. We were a very impoverished family. In dysfunction junctions, the place where I lived, uh, I mean, my mom and dad, they loved each other desperately. They hated each other desperately. <laughs> Uh, you know, in fact, they're funny. They, they met in a, in a skating rink. Both were only children, if you could imagine such a thing. Both had been abused as children. And yet they're, they're in a skating rink going around in circles, a good picture of their future life. And, uh, I mean, they fell immediately in, lust, uh, in love with each other. And uh, three weeks later, they were married. Can you imagine? You know, the Bible says, if the blind shall lead the blind, won't they both fall into the ditch? They lived in the ditch. I guess that makes me a son of a ditch dweller, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. I, that's bad. Huh? Can you say that in church? I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, now we were not a particularly religious family uh, in the early days, but although my parents did send my, my brother and my sister and I to Sunday school. Uh, they loved to send us to Sunday school. They, they assumed there would be some good moral training. They didn't know. Uh, but mainly what they wanted was their private time on Sunday morning. But anyway, so, so they'd send us to Sunday school. But after John Kennedy was assassinated, my mom decided, that's it, we're going to church. Now, my mom was a fiery lady. My dad just decided because of the abuse, the abuse he experienced, he would never hit us. He never did. He'd yell and scream, and he spoke Navy fluently, but he, uh, you know, he never did hit us. But my mom made up for it. And she was gifted, little five-foot lady, Irish, horrible temper. I mean, she would hit us with whatever was close, you know, brooms, brushes, fly swatters, you name it. You know, and, it, and she'd often do that simply because it was Tuesday or whatever. But anyway, when Kennedy was assassinated, that rocked my parents' world. They were, they were Democrats. You know, you know what that means. It doesn't mean anything. They were Democrats. Their parents were Democrats, and so they're Democrats. They didn't know any difference. Anyway, so, uh, but it rocked their world, and so my mom decided she was going to go to church. Now, we were on our way home from Sunday school. We walked past her as she was going to church. We heard about this later from people. When she got to church, she sat down in, you know, a pew similar to yours, and about halfway through the pastor's message, my mom stood up and said, excuse me, sir, are you finished yet? And my pastor, Lee Speakman, he said, well, no, ma'am, I'm not. She said, she said, well, I didn't come here to listen to you. I came here to give my heart to Jesus. Are you finished yet? <laughs> yes, ma'am, I am. <laughs> you know? And she gave her heart to the Lord. And I mean, she was radically saved. And I mean, so radically saved that she would come home every Sunday and preach to my dad. And trying to get him saved. And eventually they'd yell and scream at each other. And uh, anyway, the cycle continued. But she was on fire for God. Not too long after that, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I began kind of the typical journey, I think, of most people that get saved. I mean, I went to church and read the Bible and prayed and witnessed and all the things you're supposed to do to try and grow in God. When I was 17, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a wonderful experience. That's a wonderful experience. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is powerful. And I figured, of course, that would fix everything in my life. You know, if you're saved, you know, once you're born again, isn't life perfect? And especially after you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then your life is really double perfect. 
All your problems are gone. Hallelujah. At least that's what we were told in the literature. You know, you read the fine print, though, it says not necessarily. But anyway, grew in church, loved church, went to university, and, you know, was studying. I mean, I was called to the ministry when I was 12, and so I knew I was going to eventually preach and teach and, and all of that. And, you know, but I also really cared about people a lot, so I wanted to help them. So I went into psychology, which is cheaper than therapy. And you get a degree when you're done. It's kind of nice. But, you know, I was, got married and had children, was involved in, in, in both ministry as well as in, in working in a treatment center for troubled kids. And, 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 I, and I made this, this horrible mistake. I mean, it's, I, it's, a, it's a mistake I hope none of you really, from my heart sincerely, I hope you never make. This is really a stupid thing to do. I mean, I prayed. It's really a dumb prayer that I prayed. I mean, you know, there's some prayers that are, you know, like, now I lay me down to sleep kind of thing. They're okay. I mean, you, you live through it. And, you know, you pray for your mom, your dad, and all that. And you, you know, you pray for the missionaries, and, and that's, that's fine. I, I love to pray for people that I never know. You know, it's, it's, they're much easier to love. Um, but this prayer, this was a really dumb prayer. It was one of those, you know, God, if there's anything, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's standing between, you know, my growth, my relationship with you and being what you want me to be, God, if there's anything, please reveal it to me. Oh, is that a stupid prayer or what? Because I'm convinced there's, there's angels on assignment that just can't wait for us to utter such an ear, I mean, ridiculous prayer. And they take it and run <laughs> straight to heaven. Lord, we found another one. And God began to do things. You know, God answers prayer. And God cares about our journey. God wants to see us fulfill our destiny. And we think we know what that is. We don't. He does. And he knows what's necessary to get us to the place where we will be what he's called us to be. And we did say I do to him. And we did say lead us and guide us and direct us. Didn't we? Yeah. Dumb. Dumb. <laughs> anyway. And so not too long after that I was heading up to work. And just before heading up to work, I, I'd asked one of our, our foster sons, his name was Ben, still is Ben, and I asked Ben to go and paint the redwood fence behind our house. I really didn't really know why I had asked him to do that. Other than, you know, it did need to be painted, it would give him something to do, and besides, Ben was lazy and he deserved punishment, or something like that. So I went off to work, it was a pretty good day, came home, and as I'm coming home, I've, I'm just feeling this agitation. You ever experience that other than, you know, on the freeway normally? You know, the, the agitation, just there's something not quite right. And so I'm beginning to think, Navy, you know, about Ben and, you know, wanting to, to punish him deeply and desperately if he hadn't done exactly what I told him to do perfectly. So I got home and I inspected the fence and of course Ben hadn't done it perfectly, but fortunately for him, he wasn't home. So I come into the house and I'm kind of ranting about how irresponsible this waste of human flesh is. And my 
I am a Christian and I am spirit-filled, yes, it's true, but sometimes I'm human, <laughs> unlike all of you. I saw all those judgmental eyes, I felt badly for a moment, but I'm better. <laughs> and so I, I'm sharing this with my wife and she says, go to your room, which I did have a little room that I would pray in and counsel and I, I remember falling down on my knees, crying out to God, what's going on? when God brought back a memory. Now, God deals with us all uniquely, you know that. I mean, he can reveal things that you need to know about yourself and about your journey, things that you need to do. He'll do it in whatever way he wants to. It's uniquely for each of us. In my case, he brought back a memory. This memory was of me at eight years of age. I was sitting on the front porch. I just finished painting the white picket fence around my parents' house. In my heart, what I wanted more than anything else was to please my dad. I mean, you know, moms, they love you because they have to. You know, they are, they're that unconditional thing. Dads, not so much. Dads, you work hard, you want to please them. And I wanted to please my dad, and so I worked, I did the best job I could, but you know how many of you understand at eight years of age, you're not that skilled? So I got as much paint probably on the grass and on myself as I did on the fence, but anyway, I finished my painting, sat down on the front porch like a little Buddha, waiting for my dad to come home. I remember when he came home, he walked, he walked right past me, went inside the house. He, uh, you know, patted the, uh, my mom on the head, kissed the dog, and changed his clothes. He liked the dog better than my mom. I'm just saying, you know, it's true. And he came back out, and he began to inspect the fence, and he, when he, he, he was off, he was out of earshot, he thought. But he made a statement that really, it, it was painful for me. His statement was, if you have a man's job, you got to get a man to do it. Stan's never going to amount to, you know, he spoke Navy. You fill in the blank. Now, when he made that statement, I mean, part of me said, ah, you know, he's just in a bad mood. It doesn't matter. I don't care. You know, I mean, he's an idiot anyway. But internally, the other side of me, the softer side, the more sensitive side, I took that on board. That my dad, my hero, the one that I want, that I love more than anybody else in the world, the one I want to please more than anyone else in the world, he doesn't think I'm ever going to amount to anything. I'm worthless. And that wound, I mean, it, it set in motion for me a whole lot of dynamics, desperately trying to succeed if I have to cheat to get there, and yet sabotaging my own success. So this memory came back to me. Lovely memory, huh? And so my reaction to that memory was, I mean, it was simple. Things were clear. I knew exactly what I needed to do. Kill my father. <laughs> Hallelujah. And in the middle of my ranting toward the Lord about how rotten he was and how horrible it is and how wounded I am and how I don't deserve this, God spoke to me so nicely, so sweetly. He simply said, hey, how dare you speak against your father, my servant? Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm thinking, oh, your servant. So you're the one that did this to me. I mean, I was just so full of anger, so full of bitterness. 
you know, the reality is I didn't have a very close relationship with my dad. People would ask me, do you get along with him? Sure, as long as I'm away from him. I mean, I, I, it's not that I overt, overtly hated him or anything like that. I just didn't want anything to do with him. God began to deal with me. I mean, he reminded me, you did ask the question, didn't you? What is it that's in your heart that you need to deal with? Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be this, though, Lord. I got to deal with my dad? Yeah, I need to get him to, to admit what he did. I need to get him to, to change. I need to get him to, to, to repent before me. And maybe I'll graciously grant him my forgiveness. took a few weeks, but I finally realized that I needed to make a call. I called my dad. I said, Dad, <laughs> this is a dreaded call that most parents, oh, they don't want to hear, but I need to talk. I mean, serious. I need to have a serious chat with you. Can we meet? He was reluctant, but then agreed, and especially after I told him I was going to buy. <laughs> he is cheap. I mean, I'm just, he was always cheap. Anyway, so we went to breakfast. And I sat down with him, and I said, Dad, if you don't mind, let me just share what's on my heart. He said, sure. So I came kind of with my hat in my hand. And my statement to him was simply this, Dad, would you please forgive me? Because I've been a pretty lousy son. I haven't honored you like I should. I haven't spoken well of you like you deserve. I know that you did the very best you knew how to do. And I know in your heart of hearts you love me. And so, Dad, would you please forgive me for not being the son that I need to be? I mean, the, his tears are there. My tears are there. And he said, well, of course. And, and then he made this statement I thought was kind of interesting. He said, you know, I thought I was really a, you know, a lot worse than that. I said, trust me, Dad, you were, you know, <laughs> you had your days. But that's between you and God. But as far as my heart's concerned, I've got nothing against you. I have everything for you. I love you. And from this moment on, every time I see you, I'm going to kiss you on your bald head. And I'll put my arms around you and tell you how much I love you. Because that's really what's in my heart. Because not only have I forgiven you, though, you don't have to worry about that. You don't ever have to ask for forgiveness. I forgave you before I came here. I want you simply to forgive me because... Our relationship is more important than being right. Our relationship is more important than anything from the past. Moving forward, I want to have the kind of relationship that I always wanted and you've always deserved. Because you're my dad. And I love you. Well, you know, that didn't fix everything, but it sure helped a lot. I mean, I went through... Issues of, you know, dealing with the rejection, abandonment, betrayal, all those kinds of things. But the fact is, God did a healing in the midst of that whole process. I determined in my heart that no matter what happened, I was going to make sure that our relationship was healed. I mean, here's the thing. We have the choice. And the person that needs to respond, really, to the issues of life or is the one that's more mature. The fact is, I was a lot more mature spiritually than my dad was. And even though it says in Malachi chapter 4, we didn't read that, but in Malachi chapter 4, it simply says that the hearts of the fathers are to be turned to the children. And the hearts of the children 
are to return to the fathers lest God strikes the land with a curse. And in reality, in the United States of America, we've got a lot of cursed families, cursed family structures because there's not healthy relationship between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and mothers and, and their children. But restoration is possible. Restoration is possible because it's God who's turning the hearts. If you'll turn your heart to God, he'll turn your heart in a healthy right direction. And that's what, that's what had to happen. That's what happened in the movie. The young man was so bitter toward his father because of what had been done. And many would say, but he had every right to be bitter. Look at how terribly he was treated. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How badly you've been treated doesn't matter. What matters is to have a healed heart. Why punish yourself and the next generation by your bitterness and resentment when through a simple act of forgiveness you can be released and the whole generation can be healed by the grace of God? But it requires that you turn your heart. You have to be willing to turn your heart. When Jesus made the statement, it is finished, it meant everything that was necessary for salvation was done. Everything necessary for our healing, our restoration was taken care of. He reconciled the world unto himself. And he's called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. When he died, we died with him. And we're dead to our trespasses and sins, the Bible says. That doesn't mean we still don't sin. We miss the mark pretty much every day. And we still need to confess and repent and all of that. But the fact is, we're dead. He died, we died. When he was buried, we're buried. When he rose, we rose. We, the resurrection life of Jesus lives in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Everything that Jesus did, we can do. <laughs> Including forgive the wounds of the past. Which for many is one of the most difficult things. And part of it is because they're so afraid that if I forgive, then I have to trust. They're not linked. Trust must be earned. And you need wisdom to know if you can trust in a continuing relationship. But forgiveness is required. It is required. And it's within our purview to do it as men and women of God. As saints seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, God wants us to have the perspective of heaven. Nobody deserves to be forgiven. Nobody's earned the right to be forgiven. God decided, I want to forgive mankind. God decided, I want to forgive everybody who's willing to receive me. God decided that. And we can decide that ourselves. We can decide to forgive, to release, to come into the freedom that God wants us to have, a greater freedom than perhaps what we've ever experienced. But that's the perspective of heaven.
The perspective of heaven says, no, you don't deserve to be forgiven. I forgive you anyway. I've never forgiven someone that deserved it. And nobody that's ever forgiven me did so because I deserved it. It's in spite of that fact. We forgive so that we can live in healthy, healthy, positive relationship with God and each other. Amen? Amen. Blessings. Thank you.